Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're in the second chapter of Mark. Verse 14 is where I will begin, and I will read through verse 17. It's speaking of Jesus. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This is a really remarkable story. It's an astonishing story, to use one of Mark's favorite words. It's a scandalous story. And it begins to highlight the conflict that's going to exist between Jesus and the religious leaders. Those are, who are going to see the course through of Jesus being arrested, crucified, buried. It's scandalous because of who Jesus is, what he's proclaiming, and who he's calling to himself. So let's talk first about Levi. Levi is also known as Matthew. The parallel accounts are in Luke 9 and in, or Luke 5 and in Matthew 9. This Matthew, Levi, is the one most believe wrote the gospel, Matthew. Before Levi, Matthew decides to follow Jesus upon hearing Jesus say, follow me, he had made another very unpopular decision. And that was to become a Jewish tax collector. Now, I want to help you understand why this was so scandalous and why becoming a tax collector was so, so um, socially unacceptable and shocking. The Romans and the, the empire, the Roman Empire, had oppressed the Jewish people with heavy taxes. And there were two categories of taxes. There were stated taxes where you would know exactly what the percentages were related to you. And the stated taxes were things like the poll tax. So if you were a male from the age of 14 to 65, you would pay a poll tax. And if you were a female, you would start paying at 12 to 65. And the poll tax was simply a tax you would pay for being alive, period. But it was stated. Another stated tax was the ground tax. And this was a tax that would be imposed on things like grain and on wine, anything you might produce. And that was 10%. So that you would give 10% of the grain or 10% of the wine. Then there was income tax. And this was a 1% annual tax on whatever your annual income was. Those were stated, and they in themselves were heavy. But then there was a much more difficult type of tax. And this was a tax that was enforced by Jewish tax collectors. It was not a stated tax, but a tax that was centered on duties, like a duty tax, 
These would be taxes that you would pay to someone like Levi, who would simply stop you on the road and tax you for using that road. He would stop you as a mother or you as a father or you as a a group gathering, and they would simply unpack all the things that you had with you. And then depending on what they wanted to do, you would be taxed. And you can see why they were hated. Another reason they were hated, though, is they wanted this job. The Roman government allowed the Jewish tax collectors to make bids for these positions. Because these positions could be lucrative, many people would take this step, which was socially very, very costly, and they would make a bid to the government saying, I believe I can raise this many taxes. That quota would then be given to the Jewish tax collectors. Once that quota was met, everything above and beyond that was yours to keep. So now you can see why a person like Matthew was despised. When he made the decision to be a Jewish tax collector, it cost him a lot. He knew that if he became a Jewish tax collector that he would be seen by the Jews as a traitor. He would be excommunicated from whatever synagogue that he participated in. His family would be a family now full of shame and would most likely distance themselves from the individual probably forever. It was a cost to become a Jewish tax collector, but the greed and power that might come along with it was enticing. So this is the man hated really by all, except other tax collectors perhaps, that Jesus said, follow me. The story tells us that Jesus was moving along here in Capernaum again, along the sea. And as he was teaching, he came up to Matthew and there he was sitting at the tax booth and Jesus said, follow me. Just like he had done to Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now the fifth disciples called in Mark's gospel and he does the same thing. Immediately, he leaves what he knew and follows Jesus. Why? I want to take us a little bit deeper than the surface. Part of what we believe as a church, biblically, comes out in a lot of what was taught through the Reformation, where they really sensed the need to be back in the Scriptures, sola scriptura, the Word of God alone, to unpack these deep doctrines of what it means to be a biblical follower of Christ. And one of those doctrines that was highlighted is called effectual calling. And that's actually what's happening here. You see, effectual calling means that God is the one on the move. Notice Jesus is the one who initiates the call. There is a general calling. So every time I profess faith in Christ, Every time I proclaim the gospel and I tell all who are listening, whether it's in a sermon or whether it's in person, whether it's on a retreat, I'm issuing a general call. This word, this good news, the one that says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. He came and died that we might live forever, confessing our sins and having a savior. That is a general call. It is indiscriminate. It goes to all. But when an individual, hearing the general call, the indiscriminate call, has something begin to break loose inside them, when their mind begins to think rightly about themselves and see themselves as a sinner in need of a savior, 
when they begin to say something like, I need more, something in my life is missing, and then they hear the news about Jesus, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and they say, I believe, I rest and receive in Jesus alone for my salvation, that is called effectual calling. It means that God's call is effective. It's going to accomplish what he sets out to accomplish. And so the reason that Levi left the tax booth was because of effectual call. He did not understand everything about Jesus. He did not know what all was going to take place. But that invitation, to use another reformed word, that irresistible grace, compelled him to set aside what he was doing in order to follow Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ, it's because at some moment in your life, you experienced effectual call. You didn't know that's what it was at the time. You just simply heard the truth. And at that moment in your life, and it might be that moment today, that effectual call became a reality. And you said, I trust in Jesus. I confess my sins. I see that all mankind is sinful, sinners separated from God, and I receive and rest in him alone for salvation. That's what was happening to Matthew. The call to Christ and the call by Christ to this specific man was shocking. And you see it in the story. Because when we experience effectual call, and we realize that we have been saved forever from hell and separation from God, and that we now have the promise of living forever in the presence of Christ, that effectual call generates an affectionate response. And Matthew, upon receiving the call of Christ to follow him, responds with tremendous affection. That affection has them in a place where they are now seated having a meal. And here's the problem. Matthew was considered scum. Matthew was a social leper. The way he oppressed people, and I imagine that included James and John, and Peter and Andrew. They were fishermen. I'm sure they had encounters with Matthew. Is now one of what will soon be the twelve. That affection in response to that effectual call has Matthew inviting Jesus to his home. And Jesus is now, the text tells us, sitting with sinners. The word is actually reclining. And what that means is this was not a casual meal, but it was a significant meal, a feast, a celebration. And as they reclined there around the table, it wasn't the cleaned up, religious people present. It was the Son of God, the only perfect righteous man sitting amongst those who were called tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, took exception. They were offended. In fact, they were grossed out that a rabbi like Jesus would spend time with scum like that. And so, seeing what took place, the Pharisees, shocked and disgusted, asked the disciples, it's here in verse 16, 
the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I believe this is a sincere question. They can't imagine this. They have no category that a rabbi who is supposed to separate himself from people like that would be sitting and reclining next to them sharing a meal. Now notice the disciples don't respond, but Jesus does. Jesus says in verse 17, when he heard, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. The Pharisees were shocked and disgusted by what they saw. When the term sinner is used by the Pharisees, they're not actually thinking of every category of sin. They're thinking of a particular type of person who is unwilling to submit themselves to the way they see the rule of the law. The Pharisees' children, as I talked about the puzzles, they were the ones who added to the word of God because they believed if they kept the word of God perfectly, that they weren't spiritually sick that they were healthy, that they did not need a physician. And so they would see people who wouldn't follow their way according to the law as sinners. And so they separated themselves from that crew. They would not be seen in public with those people. They were unclean. In fact, that's what the word Pharisee means. It means separated ones. Now, I think it's important for us to see the radical nature of Jesus's ministry here, his kingdom. He is not going after the people that the religious folk thought he should go after. He's calling people who were themselves outcast. Just like he touched the leper who was an outcast not long before this account, he now is touching someone who is also an outcast, but who makes his presence known regularly by oppressing people. The leper didn't choose to have leprosy. The condition of his social isolation was because of his disease. Levi chose to be a social outcast. And Jesus also reached out and called him. Jesus is gathering around him people that the religious leaders of the day would have nothing to do with. But here's the warning. Pharisaism, self-righteousness, often finds its way into the church. And it often happens at a young age. Most of you know, because I talk about it often, that I came to Saving Faith through the ministry of Young Life. After coming to Saving Faith and being discipled and brought into a church, which was part of the Reformed Church in America, I was very blessed to have men and women really pouring into me. I continued my work with Young Life as a volunteer. I'll never forget rebooting a Young Life club at a school in Oklahoma City called Putnam City High School, one of the oldest high schools in the city. 
They were called the Pirates. I actually went to the rival school called the Patriots. Starting Young Life there, we centered on reaching out to people who didn't know the Lord. It wasn't long before a lot of students were coming to our Monday night Young Life Club meeting. And at that meeting, they would hear the good news of Jesus. They would actually hear a story like this and the miracles of things Jesus did. The numbers really began to grow as one student after another was experiencing the, you know, call. Jesus was saving people. It was effectual. And it was a stirring in them an affection for Jesus that had them out inviting other people to come. I would go on campus with our other volunteer leaders and we would meet students and encourage them to come and bring their friends. And one day I saw someone take down the sign that said Young Life Tonight. They took it off the wall, they folded it up and put it in a trash can. I wondered why. The school said we could put the signs up. And then I saw people who were passing out flyers that said Club Tonight, Young Life, so-and-so's house, taking the flyers as if they were interested in going and then dumping them in the trash. And I watched, went up to these students and said, why are you doing this? They said, because non-Christians go there on Monday nights. Bad people are hanging out there on Monday nights. People who don't love God are hanging out there on Monday nights. I said, I know. I'm there too. They're like, oh, we know who you are. And they turned and walked away. I knew where they were from. A church, seemingly vibrant, with a very big youth group. So I called the youth pastor of the church to talk, who was twice my age, and he set me down. And I realized where their pharisaical discipleship had started. He had no vision for this Jesus. He had a vision for a self-righteous pharisaical group that would do their best to look good in order to make God accept them. Friends, that's not the gospel. The gospel is messy because it saves messed up people like you and like me. The gospel is the good news of a savior who moved towards people that most of us would never want to associate with. But we must. We must. And the way we will do it is when we don't forget that we were sick. We were the ones needed, needing to be carried on the stretcher. We were the ones needing to hear those words, you're forgiven. We were the ones who, through the effectual call, heard the Holy Spirit say, follow him. And we began to follow him. But the group of people most in danger of becoming Pharisees are those who continue to grow in the faith and lose association with those who are not. But there's something else they lose first. That is affection for the one who gave them the effectual call. We forget.
We forget that we need God's mercy every day. We forget that outside of God's grace, there we go. Friends, Jesus Christ is radical. His kingdom is radical. He is not calling us to be something, part, a part of something that doesn't have the, answer, the essence of this radical message of salvation. In our life, we see the wonder of the gospel when we, by his grace and for his glory, hear the truth of who we are. Mark is using the word sick here, recording Jesus saying, you are sick. The sick need a doctor. But we know Paul's gonna make it sound worse because he's gonna call it what it is, death. We, spiritually speaking, did not have hearts that could beat for God. Put it this way, Matthew, Levi, he became a tax collector because that made sense to him. Later, he became a follower of Christ because that made sense to him. Why? Because God intervened. If you're a follower of Christ, it's not simply because it made sense to you. It made sense to you because God made it make sense to you. And that is so humbling. And that is so beautiful. And we're in a church that is committed to holding this Jesus out to a sick world. When I walk through the doors of the new building, which are right now just dirty and dusty, I said that last week, my shoes need polished afterwards. I know what God delights in doing. And that is in using people like you to invite others out of a deep affection for him that they may have Jesus held out to them, extended to them. In about 50 days or so, the dust is gonna be gone. There'll be carpet and clean floors and clean windows. But let me make sure you hear this clearly. The dust and the dirt must always exist. The dust and the dirt of sick sin people coming through these doors, like you and like me, must never be forgotten. That we have a Savior who is giving us the privilege of telling sick people that there is a physician and his name is Jesus. And he says, follow me. Now, when a person who comes through these doors hears that and the effectual call moves in that moment and their affection begins to, to soar, what will happen is they will take that good news to their places of work, their neighborhoods, their families, and they'll invite them to a banquet. They'll invite them to hear the good news of Jesus. The longer we follow Christ, the temptation is to distance ourselves 
from people who are not like us. That's a sign of Pharisaism. We judge people who are not like us. It's a sign of Phariseeism. What we need is to remember who we are in Christ in a world that's very dark. And if we are living in the security of what it means to be in Christ, I trust that we will be bright to a world that's very dark. And people who are his own will see him in us. And that's how the effectual call will begin. One final thing. In verse 15, the way the Greek is arranged, something really remarkable happens. It's recorded in such a way that makes it look as if Jesus and not Levi is hosting the banquet. And that makes sense biblically, doesn't it? Because from the beginning of Scripture to the end, it's pointing to this heavenly feast where the host is the Messiah. William Lane, in a marvelous commentary on Mark, says this, this meal, and he's speaking of this one right here with Levi and the sinners and tax collectors, this meal was an extension we love that word. This meal was an extension of the grace of God and an anticipation of the consummation when Messiah, that is Jesus, will sit down with saved sinners and the kingdom of God. Near the end of the Bible in the third chapter of Revelation, we have that affectionate verse where Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Those who open the door experience effectual call. That effectual call turns into an affectionate meal, a meal that you who are in Christ, we who are in Christ will experience for all eternity. The host is Jesus, the one who saves sick sinners like Levi, like Paul, like Mark, like Ron, like you. Today may be the day when the effectual call is coming to you whether you're watching and worshiping online or sitting here in the sanctuary, no matter what your age, this may be the moment when you hear something breaking loose inside you, something saying something's wrong, someone telling you you need a savior and his name is Jesus. Friends, if you're hearing that, surrender to the Lord. That's what discipleship is. Confess your sin and your need for Christ. Rest and receive in him alone for salvation. If you pray that prayer in a minute as we close, tell someone you came with. Or if you're here by yourself, come see Ron or myself or send us an email. We would be delighted to tell you what all that means. 
If you know you're in Christ already, celebrate that effectual call. Whether it was a very specific moment you remember or a season of time, rejoice that he has called you his own, that he said, follow me. But I have two questions for you. First, are you living in the affection towards God of what it means to have been called by him? Is that affection manifesting itself in you being around other people that don't know the Lord? And are they on your guest list? Is there a guest list in your mind right now of people you're praying for to come to this feast? And would you be willing with the people on that guest list to invite them to your home or to your church that you may extend to them the person Jesus Christ? We all need a guest list. Last question. Are you on someone else's guest list? Someone who doesn't know the Lord, but respects you, sees something in you that is extraordinary. And what that is, is Jesus. Would you be in enough relationships with non-believers that one of them might invite you to be their guest? The call of the gospel is not for us to move into hiding, but it is for us to move forward as bright lights radiant in a world of darkness, confident that the gates of hell will not prevail against his kingdom, confident of who we are in Christ, no matter what the world, the flesh, and the devil throws at us. As we close with this magnificent hymn, A Mighty Fortress, think about God's effectual call and think about your affection for this king. If you're his, it's because he called you. Lord Jesus, your grace is what saved us. It's not our own doing, not our own works, not our own righteousness not our ability to look a certain way, to clean up a certain way. It's your grace. You saved us by that grace. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We were sick, and you revealed yourself to us as our physician. Now you've put us in places with other sick people who desperately need to know you. Lord, would you burn in us this affection that we might follow you to the ends of this earth for the sake of holding Jesus Christ and all of his glory out to those who desperately need a physician. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.